Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. I am very excited to hear about your journey with type 1 diabetes. So you said that you were diagnosed two years ago. So that would have made you 17, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. So what where, what happened? So the story is a long one. Uh, it's, I got all night. <laughs> it is, uh, it's pretty complex and it's super unique. Um, I was getting a routine physical. Uh, as an athlete, they kind of require physicals every year. Uh, I play in the spring as a, as a baseball player. So I went in for a physical in about September. And for the first time ever, the doctor recommended I get blood work just to see. You know, I'm a super healthy person and I've never had any issues. You know, My doctor used to call me the, uh, the epitome of health. He would just send me all my way and, and everything would be okay. But he wanted a, a blood work sample for this time around. So uh, I was getting on Saturday morning. And the night before, I was at a rehearsal dinner for one of my cousins. I was doing a reading at the wedding the next day, and um, I was at a rehearsal dinner with my dad. And the waiter brings out all this cake, probably three or four different flavors, and he sets it down on a tray. And I'm sitting there with my uncle and my dad, and we got to figure out, you know, which piece of cake is the best. You know, there are all these, all these different flavors. We got to figure out which one is going to be the one that, that we got to tell people, you got to try that one. So, so of course I'm going through and, and I'm just ripping through all this cake. And, all right. Uh, what kind of cake was there? Cause I would like to know which yeah, one. I think picked. it was, I think it was, I think it was red velvet was the, was the leader there. All right. But I, I ate right up into the fasting point because obviously before you get blood work drawn, you, you got to fast for X amount of hours. And my mom wasn't with me. So it was, I was with my dad and he was the one that kind of said, you know, Let's cut it off here. So right, right up to the deadline, right up to the deadline. So the next morning I go and I get, I get the blood work and everything came back perfectly fine, except for that my blood sugar was slightly above average, like 145 and the average is typically 80 to 120. So it wasn't alarming. It wasn't that concerning. It was just higher, you know? So we kind of came, came back to the, to the drawing board and said, well, of course, I was just ripping through cake the night before. Like it's probably no big deal. Um, yeah, and, and they agreed. They said it, it should be okay. We'll get a couple more tests and, and we'll see you know, what happens. So over the next two months, I probably got three other tests. I took a, um, a sugar test where I had to drink something, stay stagnant, and they tested me after that. And then I, I was just going through things and I, I didn't know what they were looking for. I didn't ask questions. I, you know, just abided and whatever it was going to be, it was going to be. So I went to work out one day um, and my dad beat me to my gym. And he said, you know, you're not working out today. We got something to talk about. So he pulled me aside and it was kind of rare. Um, the first thought that popped in my head was that somebody, somebody passed away in my family. And it was one of those things where it was like, okay, you know, where's this going to go? 
So he takes me outside and uh, he told me, he said, the doctors think you're type 1 diabetic and we're going to go down to, to see your doctor and we're going to try to figure out what's going on. He kind of started to get emotional about it because he, I think, was kind of ignorant to what it actually is. Right. Um, so the first thought in my head was, thank God nobody died. Right. Uh, it's, it, it's all good here. And, and when he started to get emotional, I kind of started to realize, like, I'd have to lock it in and kind of... Uh, be there for him, you know, because I knew that it wasn't my fault. I knew all the parameters. I kind of understood what it was about. Um, so I, I kind of handled it, said, said okay, uh, no big deal. We'll, uh, we'll keep going. So I came back inside. I grabbed my stuff. My trainer's a type one as well, um, which is just convenient, I guess. Wow. So we went, we went down to my doctor's and uh, he, he drew my blood again. And it came back at like 87. And that is exactly in range. No concern there. So he looks at me and he goes, you know what? I'm supposed to tell you that you're a type one, but I'm not actually sure that you are. So he called down to the hospital and he said, look, you know, we're supposed to admit him tonight, but what do we do? Because everything's normal. He's got no symptoms. He's acting perfectly fine. You know, what do we do? So they said he has beta cells that will kill his pancreas eventually. So while he's not showing as a type one right now, he will be one day. Wow. So, so. At that, they said, come down, we'll teach you how to manage it, and we're going to have to handle it from this point forward. Um, so I did that. I, I went down. I, I spent the night. And they just they fed me everything that they could. They just It was basically an experiment. And they tested my blood sugar for every three hours and all the rest all through the night. And I came back just in normal range, and, and they hadn't really ever seen anything like that because they knew uh, my pancreas was going to be affected. And they knew I was going to be a type 1, but I wasn't showing it consistently. Uh, so it was a super, super rare case. Wow. And what it came down to was uh, I was basically in a pre-diabetic state. So they pretty much caught it within maybe two weeks of it actually starting, which was miraculous within itself. So for the first six months, my treatment was uh, very different than a lot of people. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't go through the, the traumas and the terrors of uh, right. what a lot of people go through. And over the next six months, I was, I was good. And then it started to slow down a little bit. My own production started to slow down. And then I kind of had to, had to handle it and adjust on the fly. Wow. Yeah. Was that, how did you see that? Did you see that as a gift or did you see that, you know, catching it early? Uh, it was super fortunate. I mean, like I said, I've, I've heard horrible stories about what people have gone through yeah. with, with weight loss and, and comas and all those kind of things. Um, a blessing in disguise, I'd probably call it. I think it was the best case scenario for what I was going through. Um, nobody in my family has it, so it was a surprise to, to all of us. Uh, it taught me a lot. I had to mature quick. I went through a phase, you know, obviously when you're in the hospital and you're staying overnight, um, you know, my parents have all these thoughts and all these concerns. And for once, probably for the first time, I kind of had to sit there and I had to be their rock. Like I said, you know, I had to inject myself for the first time. I had to go through all these things and, and I'll never forget, the, I'll never forget the looks on their face when they had to watch me do that. And, and they saw that. Um, but I was at a point such late in my life that they let me handle it on my own. And I think that's been vital too, because there are a lot of uh, diabetics I know that go through routines based on what their parents think or based on what doctors think, and they get to an older age and they can't handle it as well. Right. Right. So at least I lived with it for so much time where um, I could adjust kind of easily and be on my own because I was going to, I was going to school. I was going to college within a year. Right. So you, you kind of thought to yourself, I have to know this. I can't use someone else's wisdom on this. If I'm going away, then I need to know how to do this for myself. Yes, everything. And, you know, I never got annoyed when people asked me questions about it. You know, my parents would kind of check in on me and make sure everything was okay. Yeah. But they didn't feel like they had to because I, I was so calm about it and I was so emotionless about it that I kind of had the, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's not my fault. You know, I can't regret anything. It just is what it is. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it isn't your fault. It's just the body is, is doing, well, they don't really know why it happens either, do they? No, no. And, and it, it stinks because diabetes and being a diabetic, it's such an ugly word. It has such a, it's an ugly connotation with a lot of people. Um, and there are always the questions that come down to, you know, you, you don't look like you're a diabetic. You don't, you know, act like it, you know, what can you eat? What can you eat? There are just so many questions that people have and it's, it's out of ignorance, but it's not very ignorance. It's mostly just a, a misunderstanding. I think it is. 
Um, and I, I had to go into, I had to go into an athletic season because it was my senior year of high school. Right. So I had committed to a college to play there. I had gone through, you know, so much of my life. Yeah. And I had to take this first season, take this first off season as a whole new perspective. Oh, I can imagine, right? Like yeah. that would have been, and, and you have a different layer because you're a high level athlete. Exactly. I've done two shows on type one diabetes. I talked with Nathan. He was diagnosed at 20. Now I want to get this right. I think it was 21 or 22. And he just said it was like, it was life changing for him. And he kind of had the same experience that you had where he was, his perspective was I'm alive. Like I, I can't be worrying about the shame or, or the guilt of this or what people think. Like I'm alive. And then I interviewed a woman whose son was diagnosed when he was 18 months. And that's a whole other crazy nightmare because she was the one that was, you know, she was learning herself and laying awake at night and watching him, you know, uh, making sure all his sugar levels were, were right. And so how do you handle, like you're my, my third guest that's in between those two. So how do you handle like the sugar spikes and all of that kind of thing. So as an athlete for so long, um, I always trained super hard. Yeah. And with, with that comes, you know, a desire to gain weight, a desire to gain muscle, all this other, all this other stuff. So I'd always counted my calories. I'd always counted my carbs. I'd always counted my protein all through high school. And it wasn't a self-conscious thing. It wasn't a, a self-image thing. It was just a, how do I get more productive in training? Right. Based on what I eat. So my transition to counting carbs and my transition to doing things I had to do uh, with, di with diabetes wasn't a transition. I had already done it for so long where I, I understood that this amount of portion of this amount of food was this amount of carbs and I could handle that. So when I had to learn how to kind of count carbs and treat myself, I understood it to a level that I think most people, no matter when they're diagnosed, don't really understand. So I met with you know six or seven nutritionists and I went all through this stuff and they were asking me questions instead of me asking them questions because I kind of learned so much through what I had done for so long. So to manage all that stuff is not that challenging sometimes, which I'm blessed to say, of course, but it's never easy, you know, based on the uh, intensity of workout, based on habit, based on routine, all that stuff changes throughout the year and, you know, road trips when we play in the spring. So there are always aspects of it that are challenging, but I, I feel confident in myself because I had done it for so long, kind of that that transition didn't bother me that much. But that's where people have the trouble because it's saying, okay, well, how do I adjust the carb and the protein? And, and then there's this, there's actual formulas that you have to put into place. And it's this not only are you dealing with the emotional, but you're also dealing with the reality of, okay, well, I didn't really do well in math. So now I got to learn all this stuff, right? Like it is a lot. I know you, you say you are really rock solid, but was there an aspect for you that you felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the rest of my life? Uh, yeah, there were a couple. Um, when I went to school, uh, and, and played ball down there. I was, I was in pretty tough scenario. They made a coaching change my first year and, um, they, they ran us up a little bit. They had a lot of physical, physical workouts that we did. Um, so I was super self-conscious about kind of what I ate in the sense that I had to manage what I was doing for something that was super intense, very frequently. You know, we did a lot, a lot of long distance running, a lot of uncomfortable things that diabetics typically don't do. You know, when they have fundraising events, they don't run 5Ks, they do walk runs because the majority of people have to walk, you know? Yeah. So I had to plan for all these things and I found some patterns in what I was doing that like I, I lost about 12 pounds when I went to school. Because it was like the schedule didn't work and I had to change this and, and I didn't want to eat too much, but also not enough. And so there were just periods of time for probably 70 hours a day between breakfast and a late lunch that you just didn't eat as an athlete. And that's tough. You know, when we went on road trips in the spring, conversely, there's more downtime. So what I had been doing for the winter and the fall of the strenuous workouts, I kept in doing in the spring, right. but more, more downtime, your blood sugar, levels, blood sugar levels go higher. So 
there's just changes that you kind of have to realize seasonally and with your activity and all the other things. So I've had stretches where I've gone, like, you know, what is going on right now? Like, what's up with this pattern? How do I change this? How do I figure it out? Um, but I've never hit it. I've never not asked questions. I've never, you know, try to figure it out on my own. I just, I always try to try to be proactive about a lot of things. Um, I have a question for you. Always... I, I have a question. So when you were talking about, you know, the, the running, you're running 5k and doing all that. So lots of people with type one aren't doing that. Right. But what if they want to, like, like if they're, if people are listening right now and they're going, okay, you know, if he can do it, then with the help of my doctor and the help of my, my, the person that I consult with, maybe we can work this out. But what, what were you doing that could get you to run 5k? Oh, wow. It's funny because I just did it about two weeks ago. Again, uh, we had these, we had these long workouts here, uh, to wrap up our fall. Um, one of the tricks that I use, and I always kind of have a snack on me. I always have something on me throughout workouts because our days are long and I've, I've learned how to manage it better this year than last. But, um, one of the tips I have is just keeping Starburst in your pocket. Starburst? Starburst. Nice. What's your flavor? <laughs> uh, I think tastes the best, but you gotta, gotta go through the whole pack at some point. Yeah. But like a, a pack of Starburst is, you know, 50 carbs and whatever it is, they're not heavy to carry. It's, it's something like that where you can just quick pop. It's like, kind of like chewing gum, but you swallow it. And, uh, it doesn't really take much time. It's just one of those things that, Juicy has a lot of sugar and it'll, it'll help out. Uh, but there are a bunch of things like that that people use. That was the best tip that somebody gave me. Um, it's just little things like that. Apple juice, applesauce, those kind of things that are lightweight. Um, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. It's kind of annoying that you have to do those things sometimes, but um, it is what it is. So how do, you, how do you move between the difference of being obsessed with food mm -hmm. and resting in peace? Uh, that's a great question because there has been and there um, will continue to be periods of time where I need to gain weight and I need to have 4,300 calories a day. Like I have to count them and I have to go through that. Uh, over the last couple of months, I've, I've put all those pounds I've lost back on and then some, which has been super healthy. So um, I met with a nutritionist a couple weeks ago and we were just talking about my diet in general. And I'm, I'm really good at following a lot of things, but I needed to add a couple more aspects that I had lost. You know, I kind of gave up on a lot of fruits because they can get kind of funky with blood sugar. Um, so while I have time to experiment now, like we're on break, we're not practicing right now. Yeah. Um, I can throw fruits back in and kind of figure out what the patterns are with them and kind of figure out how that positively or negatively impacts me. So when you say patterns, talk about that. T tell me about the patterns that you you are seeing. So I use a, uh, an app called Dexcom. It's very helpful to a lot of diabetics. It, it tracks your glucose and monitors it for every minute of every day. It, it reports on a five-minute basis, and it shows you a literal chart. Uh, mine goes to my phone. And then there's an app for that called Clarity. It's uh, associated with that company, Dexcom. And it shows you your patterns over 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, two weeks, you know, whatever you need to see. So um, I'll take those charts and kind of configure them throughout the days and figure out, you know, if I had this kind of meal on this day before this activity, should I do that again? You know, should wow. I change something? Should I have more insulin? Should I have less insulin? Like, how did I hold up over this four hour period that I was on the field doing this and, and all these different activities? So when I can kind of configure what meals work and what meals don't, then that's just what I work in. But I also have to apply it to, you know, strategic dieting with what I'm trying to do and what my goals are. So it took me a while to kind of understand all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people just kind of say, you know what, I'm not dealing with it. Like for me, like cereal for me, like it's so nasty with what it can do. Some days it hits you really high. Some days it doesn't hit you at all. Like I just say, screw it. I'm cutting it out. It's not the health anyway. I don't need it. Cereal. I'm good on. Mm -hmm. But if I want to put peanut butter on waffles or, you know, mix different things up to be effective, then I can figure that out too. So, so peanut butter on waffles sounds weird. I'm it just does. saying. <laughs> yes. yeah. I mean, that, again, talk to me about that because you just said, you said, so if I want to put peanut butter on waffles to get that combination. So that means you're being strategic with what you're putting in so that you can double in your program. Right. Okay. Right. So, so one of the things I was recommended was um, trying to figure out what, what portions of grams of, of carbs and proteins have with every meal. 
So instead of having a protein shake, which is liquid, it absorbs faster, it can impact your blood sugar quicker and fall faster and all the rest. Peanut butter on waffles is that same amount of protein source, but you're just replacing what you would use as regular butter mm. for that protein source. So it's one of those things where it'll absorb slower, it'll last longer through the day, it'll help you through workouts. So it's not sexy, it's not ideal, it's not something that people do, um, but it's one of those things where it'll help me with waking, it'll help me with workouts, and it'll help me with my blood sugar. So the alternative beats, you know, all the other options that are more volatile. Okay, so do you have more weird combinations that could be insightful for other people? Um, that's a good question. Because um, waffles is weird. Yeah, I don't go too far off the map. Um, I love uh, chicken salad, tuna salad on sandwiches. I, I think that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, all those all those kind of mixes, you know, that's a good source of a lot of food. And so, you, you don't mind. So this is nothing to do with like gluten and dairy, none of that. It's literally yeah. carb and protein. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of fruits can you not eat? Um, bananas are, are super sugary. It's just the way that carbs work is that yeah. some of them release, some of them release fast and some of them release slow. Yes. And just as quickly as they release fast, they also drop just as fast when you go to work out or when you go to do activities or right. when insulin takes over. Um, but I've kind of learned to manage, I prefer melons. I think even though they're sweeter, they're, they're more easy to manage. Um, just when I stay generally active, my body kind of takes care of itself for the most part. I mean, tiredness is a problem, right? Yes. Yeah. With your incredible, I mean, your high level activity, how do you manage the exhaustion that happens? Um, that's, a, that's a good question, too, because a lot of times after workouts, what happens is, you know, your blood sugar will drop during a workout and then you'll stop, you'll become inactive and it'll rise up a little bit, right? Yeah. So typically when people would eat after a workout, it's to, you know, re-energize, to feel better, to refuel. And when you have that period of your blood, you stop working out, your blood sugar starts to rise again. It's not necessarily the best time to eat, if that makes sense, because it's already rising from the workout being complete. And then you're going to add, add a food to it and it's going to keep going even more. So I have to be strategic about what I kind of cover after I work out um, so I can find a way to have an appropriate insulin to carb ratio when I'm done. So I am able to refuel, I'm able to re-energize. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't get tired. I'm just going to sit here and say that uh, refueling is, and, and rest and sleep are, are a big deal. Um, you know, just as you have to be active, you also have to take that time off to, to refocus and to recenter. So, you know, amount of sleep, hydration, water is a huge, huge deal. You know, the more water you drink, the more blood, uh, the more sugar in your blood you can kind of filtrate through. Uh, that's a great neutralizer on its own without having to take insulin, without having to exercise. Just a lot of water intake is, is really, really good for the system. How much of water do you drink a day? Uh, I, try to, I try to do a gallon. Uh, I don't always meet it, but I try to get to a gallon. I, I'll stop at a, a gas station and pick up a gallon of water and, and see if I can get through it for the day and refill it for a couple of weeks and wow. see if that's what I can do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to me because it helps manage itself in a sense. You know, sometimes if I go a little high and I, and I don't need to cover it with insulin, I'll just try to drink a lot of water and, and see if I can filter it out on its own. Well, and that's the hard part because, like you said, you're, it, after a workout, people want to eat. That's yeah. kind of the, the thing. Right. And you're saying no because what happens is everything starts to rise. And if you eat, you can't control how long after a workout do you usually know. Uh, it's probably within 30 minutes is, is oh. when you can kind of tell. I try to schedule my workouts at a time where um, I'll do them, do them in the afternoon. So right when I finish, I can cover for lunch and that'll be my post-workout snack and my lunch, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so if that takes a later breakfast or, or earlier dinner or whatever that is, then that's just how I kind of have to adapt. Um, so that's how I prefer to do it. And I, I think it's, I think it's easiest that way, but in a pinch, you know, you just kind of cover a little bit after you work out and, and you have a little bit of what you can, uh, but it's hard to read off the bat, like right when you get finished your workout, because you don't really know if it's no. going to keep going down or if it's going to stop and go up. Right. And what kind of pump do you have? Is there different kinds? Uh, I don't wear a pump. I, I go straight injection. Okay. Um, why do you do that? Just because it would get in the way of, of playing. Um, oh. I, I'll probably use a pump when my career is over, whenever that may be. Okay. Um, but for right now, yeah, it's just, just injection. It's not the most convenient, but just as effective. So 
Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the things that you have on your website, the super eight dot blog. Um, and you have on there, you have sacrifice, mm-hmm. character and discipline. And I want to talk about those things because what does that mean to you? So why do you talk about sacrifice and what is the significance there? Yeah. So I'll go back to, uh, how it originated. If, if that's, if that's okay. If we can go all, all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, so while I was at school, it was my first year of college and I don't go to that university anymore. Um, it was, it was January and I kind of thought to myself, uh, there's only a certain amount of people that are student athletes at, at a division one level. And there's a certain percentage of people that are type one diabetics and there's a certain percentage of people that are Catholic and a certain percentage of people that are nephews and grandsons and, and sons and all the rest. So then I kind of figured when you take all those things and combine them, like that's me. But how many of me are there really? Like those percentages are so slim that when you combine all of them, who else has my perspective? Who else has my experience? You know? So then I, I kind of figured, you know, I have perspective, I have stories, I have events I've lived through, but I don't have an overlying theme. I don't have something that ties them all together. So I was number eight um, at Radford University, which is where I played my first year of ball. And and I just kind of figured, you know, how can I take eight? How can I take these things? How can I apply it all together? So those eight values that I have, um, I believe, are the best things uh, that you can follow to be the best at whatever you are, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a blogger, whether you're a, a son, you know, no matter what you are, those are the eight values that tie all those aspects of your life together. Because there, there are so many websites and podcasts for diabetics, and then there are some for athletes, and then there are some for parenthood, and then there are all these different things. Well, why can't they all be the same? You know, we're not only one identity. We are so many things within ourselves. So those eight values, God, faith, prayer, family, education, sacrifice, character, and discipline are the ones that I believe you have to tap into to be the best at whatever that portion of your identity is. So that's the one thing that ties my life together as an entirety, being the minority in so many different aspects. And I think that can apply to anybody in whatever they go through. So that's kind of how I got the idea. Um, combined with the trying to break the social media mold because I'm not a fan of the likes counting and the- I know, me the, either. It's like, it's the, just- uh, Yeah. It's hard. So, so I figured, you know, if I can start something that people care enough to go out of their way to look at. And that's pretty cool. You know, I don't care how many people look at it. I don't care how many people, you know, take messages away from it. If it's one person, then I feel fulfilled, but it's stuck. It's stuck and it's become something bigger than that. And, you know, I'm not doing it for money or for, you know, for fame or any of that stuff. It's just something that I put out there and people have loved it. People have enjoyed it. And um, I'll keep going with it because, you know, I've, I've come to like it too. It reminds me of, how I can be myself when I'm up or down, you know? That's interesting. Cause that's, that's really my message. <laughs> and I'm like 25 years older than you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really cool because, you know, I, I get what you're saying and there's something that's so important about bringing you to the table. Mm-hmm. Like who you are, isn't just, diabetic it's not just family it's not just you know an athlete it's all of it you you go in and out of all of those roles that you play every day every hour and when you can understand that then you can tap into something that's magical and I think that's really what you've done here um talk to me about character what does that have to do with it yeah so um the, the biggest message I kind of have about character and I try to apply it to myself is just to be consistent. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that, that I kind of see in the world really is that uh, people are so quick to be extraordinarily happy when things are going well. And they're so quick to be extraordinarily sad when things aren't. And, you know, when there are successful people in the world, whether you like it or not, there are always going to be people that don't want to see you be successful. They're just not. That's just, that's just the nature of the beast. So the way I look at it is when you're up and when you're high, when you're feeling good and when you've done all the right things that day, just mellow it out. Just stay consistent. And when you're down and when you're having a tough time, 
Just raise yourself up a little bit and just stay consistent. So when you're on that, when you're on that line, people can't tell when you're down. People can't tell when you're up because when you're not as, as up and you're not as high, people know, you know, um, inversely. So it's one of those things where consistency is the key and just remaining um, kind of who you are throughout. Um, and obviously there are going to be people, they're going to be, you know, your parents, your family members, the people in your close, close circles that you can certainly share those emotions with. When you walk out every day, you know, keep the same smile, keep the same sense of joy, keep the same, you know, confidence. And that is what your character is in, in everything that you do. You know, if, if my blood sugar is messed up one day, I can't let that affect my bats. I can't let that affect, you know, how I treat my brother. It's all those kind of things where, you know, you just got to kind of handle it. And people, people kind of know me for being a little bit stoic here and then. And it's, I'm kind of hard to read sometimes, but that's just because that's the only way I can stay afloat in being who I am and in keeping that character consistent. Well, you said something like you, when you're excited, mellow it out. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're sad, raise it up. Yep. And I think that's a really strong admonishment to people because life has a way of, if you just keep reinforcing what the reality is, say you're having relational issues or, you, or you're struggling. Maybe, you know, like for you, this is a real everyday thing that you deal with and you could, your mindset, you know, this being a high level athlete, your mindset is the key. And this is why you say this. This is not because you, you know, have this really great idea of what this should be. No, no. You live this every day because if you get in your head, then you're not going to be the best you can be. And you have a responsibility, not only to yourself, but you have a responsibility to God and to your family and to your your team and to the people that got you where you got to. So that is, that would be another level of what I hear you saying. And and it is really like for, okay, so you're going to be 20. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really old thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I keep hearing it. You know, people keep telling me I'm I'm mature beyond my years and I, I appreciate that. And, uh, I've started to hear a lot more frequently, but it's just one of those things where I've been, I've been guided down the right path. I think. And I've been, I've been. But what inspired you? What's been the guide? Uh, mostly my parents. Pretty much every day. Um, I'm super observant. I'm really good at kind of staying in the moment and, and kind of taking things for what they are. Yeah. Um, but they've been great examples. I, you know, I always believe that your parents should be your role models, you know, for good or for bad, because they're the people that you're with every day. You know, sports figures and and actors and actresses and whoever shouldn't be your role models because. When it comes down to it, you don't know who they are every day. Right. Um, but with your parents, you do. And they've taught me a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of things I think and beliefs kind of stem from them. Um, and a lot of our long conversations through youth and all the rest. Um, so they've been fantastic and, and they've kind of been my guide. They, you know, are great examples. And that is what I have continued and will continue to follow. And um, I'm just thankful that that I've kind of learned so many things from them and that I've been able to put my own spin on them through my own experiences and, and sure. kind of project that to people. But you've internalized it, right? So yes. like in the simple nuance of what you said early on in our interview, where you said, well, my mom and dad really encouraged me to do this on my own. It sounds like that's, that's their parenting style where, where they will lead you. They will mm-hmm. stand beside you, but you really need to learn how to. Because if you don't know how to, then you don't know how. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the internalization yeah. of all that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of that, that that I can think of. I mean, you know, my dad grew up here. Both my parents grew up here, but my dad grew up here. He went to college here, and, and now he lives here. Yeah. You know, so when we're out and about, you know, in town as as kids, we always see people that dad knew. Yeah. Oh, there's another guy that, that dad knows. Okay, but the challenge for us became now we got to talk to him. Now we have to make that. Now we have to make that connection. We have to shake their hand. We have to look them in the eye, and we have to have a mature conversation with this person because he's a person that we know. And it became that frequently. And, you know, another example is you know we would go on road trips, and one time I forgot my toothbrush, and I'd have to go down as an eight year old to the front desk and say, "May I have a toothbrush, please?" You know, my parents were going to be the ones to do that. They were going to teach us how to do that, and then they're going to say, "Go do it." Right. And that kind of became the way that, that I learned a lot of things was, you know, I've seen them do it. I've seen their lessons. I've listened to their lessons and now I have to exemplify it. And then when I, when I became an independent entity and when I started to live on my own, those are still things that I carry with me. Yeah. And those are some of the things that have helped me, I guess, uh, 
mature faster than, than some of my other peers. Yep. Well, and, and, and something like this, that you, uh, you have to grow up pretty fast when you have something that you, you cannot just slip into uh, the stereotypical college student that just doesn't really take care of themselves, right? Exactly. Like, like exactly. the the eating um, fast food and and staying up to all hours and all of those things. It isn't really what you can do, and that's hard sometimes. Yeah, I mean that's that's what the sacrifice of it is. I think. Yeah. Um, and that's why that word's so important to me too. You know, you kind of get thrown into the fire at a certain point as an athlete. You know, when you're young, there's always a um, kind of an end goal mm. and some are good enough to reach it. Some of them, some of them aren't. But when you get to a certain point in your life, you kind of got to decide, like, do I want to be a high school student or do I want to travel everywhere every weekend and p- play ball in front of scouts and all the rest to go play in college? Yep. You know, yep. so there's a lot of things that you have to just voluntarily miss out on. And after a certain point, you know, that becomes that becomes a lifestyle and then sacrifice, I guess, kind of becomes second nature. It's the, the discipline of going, I want this. Um, I'm right. going to get it. And there's so yeah. many people out there like that are your age that get the, they get the vision or, or they have the creative inspiration or they have that business idea and they just can't go forward. What would you say to that woman or man that's your age who is who, like they need more discipline. How would you encourage them? I think a lot of things um, that people my age struggle with, and I think it's just the way that the world is, is that there's such a sense of instant gratification. You know, I do an action and I want to see the result right away because that's how it is everywhere else. You know, I turn in my online test, I get my grade. I post my picture, I get my likes, you know, but you have to have a sense of, of process somewhere in there. You know, it's, you know, it's not going to hit right away. It's not going to, it's not going to be what you want it to be right away. Um, and I think that holds people back. That scares people because there's a lot of unknown in that, in that element. Um, even though when you're, when you're acting on a, on a gut feeling, when you're acting on something that you believe is right, you know, you have to truly believe that it's right enough to stick with it when you don't feel like it's right anymore. And if people don't have that experience or have that understanding, then it's super easy to say, you know what, I can do something else. Or I can just go be like everybody else. Um, so there are a lot of aspects of, especially college life, especially when you find your own, when you're finally independent, where you know you have these beliefs, you have these feelings. But if everybody else doesn't, then you don't feel supported, and you're easily going to give up on that opportunity. Um, well, and you don't have that luxury because what you're—it's so interesting to me—is what you're saying. I can see the the in the experience that being a type one diabetic has brought you and the maturity and the uh, wisdom that you've allowed it to bring forward. A lot of people are sad that this is their life. Mm -hmm. And do you know anyone that has type one diabetes? Like, is there anyone else that you, that you are, you know, uh, friends with that you can share with, or is it, does it feel like to you, no, I'm the only one right now. Uh, I have a personal trainer that is type one. Uh, I've had a couple, I've had, a, I've had two teammates um, and a classmate or two that, that I've been acquaintances with that, that have it as well. Um, I'll talk to them if they have questions, but I'm never really one to, to volunteer. No. Um, I have a couple extended family members, a couple of aunts that are nurses and, and they all obviously have information. But one of the biggest things that they've told me is that every case is different. Even, is, when, yeah. even when people come into the hospital and they have their experiences, you know, the hospital to an extent still has to learn from the patient yeah. because everybody's body reacts differently. So while what works for me works for me is great, you know, so um, I do have some conversations about some things, especially, you know, medical supplies. If, if something I have works and I like it, then I can certainly recommend that. But okay. when it comes down to the routine, everybody's so different in the fact that, you know, it's tough to give somebody advice when there's a there's a good chance you're probably wrong. There's not like a lot of wiggle room either. Like right. if you're given advice because you're you're going to run that 5K and that person's walking, uh, that's a very big difference. And right. you know, and I appreciate that. That's wisdom too, right? Um, how has your faith played a role in this? 
Uh, that's a great question. And the faith dynamic of, of life, I think, scares people, especially today. You know, the whole God, faith, prayer kind of trio there at the front. Um, people don't always understand. And the best thing that I tried to do was um, make it universal. Just, you know, God's the concept that there's a greater power, whether that be you believe things are what they are, or there's just something above you that you can't control everything. That's really what it comes down to. Whether you whether you go to church or whether you go to the synagogue or no matter what you do, it's just the belief somewhere in life that you don't have full control, that you can just, you can back up and say, I don't have full control. Just as prayer is positive self-talk, whether that be you asking for something, whether that be you complimenting somebody else, you know, all those things are a sense of prayer in that they're just things to express verbally or non-verbally that give you reassurance or are positive. And the same way that faith is hope or uh, desire or wishes that you work towards. So obviously I have my Christian and Catholic beliefs on what those things actually are, but you can still universalize those words into other things. So faith playing a role in this has just been um, hope. It's been uh, desires in goals that you set. And then it's the way to get there. And um, it's just the feeling of this, this isn't my fault. This is not my, out of my control. I never had a why me moment. You know, it's just trusting that things are what they are and I have to react to them how I have to react to them. I can't control all these variables. So that's where my sense of faith comes comes from in my journey in that, um, yeah, I do have beliefs that I can crack a Bible open and tell you about faith, but you can also live it in the sense that it's not written word, in the sense that it's actual experiences and uh, some things are out of your control and how the world handles itself that you can't control leading you to your goal that is ultimately what faith kind of is. Like we should just drop the mic right there. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> I love what you just said. I love it. That yeah. is, that is prayer is positive self-talk. But those are, those are scary terms. I mean, people, are, people well, because prayer is scary, right? Like, because people, so people see prayer as this asking. Mm-hmm. I think the way that prayer kind of unfolds itself is in the way that it's just kind of an expression of just goodness, you know? Absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's a conversation that helps with that consistency, whether you're having that conversation with yourself, whether you're having that conversation with somebody else, it kind of keeps you grounded. Um, well, it's so, gratitude, yeah. right? There's a position yes, of it that is based in that gratitude and what i've learned over my years is is prayer is really the position of a thankfulness a gratitude a an understanding that we are in cooperation with the world with each other we're not fighting we're not you know against one another we are in a stance of wow and when we can be there that actually changes the situation. Like you said, you go from, if you're sad, you're, it raises you. It raises you because you're speaking something out that is out of a position of gratitude. So if you don't have something, you're asking, but if you can actually pull that back a little bit and stay, instead of saying, I really need this to happen, you'd be grateful for what you have and your spirit rises. I think that's a really important point. Yep, absolutely. Um, so why are you sharing your story now? Um, I didn't experience the, the tougher parts of it until, until later on, obviously Mm -hmm. I had to go through a phase that, um, it eventually hit me pretty hard. Um, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of people that, that kind of ask things about all all aspects of my life. You know, what does it take to be a division one athlete? What, how do you manage, how do you manage this? How do you manage that? So I realized that I was just telling the same stories that felt like consistently. Um, and I kind of realized, you know what, I might as well just make it into a platform. And if people are that curious and people you know, are yearning for that information, then it's out there. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to share that perspective of it, but it's kind of come down for me as learning other people's perspective as much as I share it. Um, so just as people, you know, struggle with, with their questions and struggle with their things, we, we all do. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to make sure that I can put my story out so that people can kind of take comfort in that and learn from that um, in all aspects of anything, because, you know, you can be 
one thing that somebody's not and still learn from their experiences. Uh, you know, I, I fully believe that because those eight values do transpire to anything. They sure do. And they're really the core of a lot of our lives. Exactly. You know, exactly. some of, I mean, it just, you might maybe not feel like you're strong in some of them, but they are a part of who we all are. Yes. Um, what would you say as we close, how would you encourage someone who finds himself in a situation like you were two years ago? How would you give them a word of wisdom or encouragement? Uh, I would probably say, um, yeah, I would start with that. It's not your fault. I would start with that. There's nothing to regret. Um, the other thing I would probably say is just be open to any information that you can get. Just learn as much as possible. Um, a lot of people I know tend to get lazy with it and they tend to not, not give their all to it. Um, and, and that's tough too, because it makes it harder. You know, the lazier you get, the more work you kind of create for yourself on the back end. And, uh, if you can be proactive and you can, you know, put it behind you and realize that it's not your fault, that you will have times where you ask why me? And you will have times where you wonder why this happened to you as your family will too. Um, but there's nothing that you can do to change it at this point. So you got to change your perspective somehow and, and you got to keep rolling because, um, you know, I heard it when I was diagnosed and I never believed it, but I can't remember the time before two years ago when I could just eat all day and not have to take care of me. You never remember the time you could eat all the cake and sample yeah, it all? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because there, there's such a routine about it. And, and when yeah. it becomes second, when it becomes second nature, you kind of get more peace. Um, so for anybody that kind of is starting with it or, or they're starting to go through it, uh, just keep with it and start with a good routine so that it just becomes second nature and that you can rely on that. And what would you say to someone who has been diagnosed with type one and they feel like their dreams of being a high level athlete are over? Um, I don't think that's a, <laughs> that's a realistic thought. I mean, people, right. people, people have those thoughts certainly. And, they and it's do. Not, just, not just being an athlete, it can be anything, you know, and it does get frustrating. It, it does get a little weird sometimes, you know, um, I remember one of the first practices back after I was, um, playing for the first time in the spring with it, we had some activity or some exercise and my blood sugar went low and I did, you know, take a seat. And that's a weird ostracizing, bizarre feeling. And when you're a lead, when you're a leader, when you're somebody who's influential, you know, that's the first time you kind of feel like you're less than, and, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to swallow that pill sometimes. So, um, as the short-term things happen and as the struggles happen, you got, still got to remember that there's a long-term in it. And the quicker that you find out that there's a routine and the quicker that you have something to rely on, then the easier it becomes in the long-term to help propel. You know, just because there might be a step back or two, um, it doesn't mean that you can't keep going in the long run. You just got to be observant. You got to learn and you got to keep going. You know, do you have anxiety about it though? Like managing and kind of like, What's going to happen if I do this? It worked that time, but what if I actually do this and it doesn't work? Uh, I'll be honest with you, and it is a mega blessing, and I am not sure how I've navigated without it, but I, I don't get anxious about a lot of things. Um, there are a lot of thoughts that, that you have, you know, what if, especially with, with management, but at the, at the end of the day, like I'm so proactive about it that if things do go wrong, like I can almost overreact if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I, it does make sense because I was talking to it. This is so interesting to me because when I was talking to Nathan, he said almost the same thing, but then there was one individual I spoke to that was very, very anxious and just really struggling with how come like yeah. my life now I am the other. Like, I can't go out to parties. I can't have that drink. I can't, you know, it's all of that. And, and like you said, it's this proactive understanding that it, you can live a normal life if you just stay consistent. Yeah. And I, and I think like for Nathan and I, it certainly sounds like because it was so much later in life that yeah. we kind of handled it on our own. You know, I'm sure that there are parents out there that have to take care of young children and because that's out of your control and you don't follow that as closely as someone who's older does. Um, I'm sure that there are many, many high anxieties in those scenarios. Yeah. 
Um, but just because I, you know, I've been older, I have a good understanding of how everything works. Um, I've good understanding of what affects my body in what ways yep. with food and with workouts. So I don't, I don't worry about it too much. And if, if I do, um, have a mishap or a mistake or a, or a letdown, it's only like between me and me, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I can't be mad at my parents and my parents can't feel guilty or vice versa because right. that's what you didn't me. do it. You, exactly. you, you missed a cue somewhere along the line. Yeah. You made yeah. a choice, right? Yeah. And I, I have no problem with, with fixing that or all the rest, but I can, I can certainly imagine how, you know, a parent could feel if, if they made a slip up or all the rest. And, and, you know, there's a certain level of misunderstanding there, especially with young kids. So I do get that anxiety part of it and yeah. you know, I can't directly relate to it. Um, but well, it's more independent. My, my, the woman I spoke to with her son, she literally, she said, you know, you give, you give them too much insulin. Like if, if she didn't know, but if he ate fishy crackers and she wasn't, you know, or she exactly. did, he didn't yes, eat yes. his lunch, then yeah. how would she know? Exactly. Right. So it's teaching, um, teaching a small child how to manage that. The anxiety is really on the parent at that point. It's not really with the child because they don't know any different. Whereas for you, you learned very early on, this is my thing. This is my gig. I got I to manage it. I love this conversation. I really, I'm, yeah, I'm in the boat where with a lot of people probably that know you that say, wow, you're a great person. <laughs> you're a leader. I can see it. And uh, you're going to do some great things in this world. And I, I love that you are willing to share your story. This is one of the reasons why I do the show is because I believe that when someone shares like you've done, it offers other people hope and they can believe that, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. Like, you know, I, I, I know now that I can have some possibilities. So what you've done here is you've sparked hope in someone and created a, a path of possibility, maybe where they weren't seeing it before. And that you can't put a price tag on that. And it doesn't matter who it is. If it's one person, amazing. You've had an impact. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me too, because uh, outlets are important. You know, if I have a story and no outlet, then it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and the other thing I'll say is you know, a little shameless plug. Again, it's thesuperate.blog. I have a contact uh, page on there too. So if anybody ever has any questions or wants to reach out, feel free. And then my social media pages are um, at BAFreddy26 on Instagram and at BFreddy14 on Twitter. Um, I'm not big enough to not reply to anybody. So any questions or, or information or all the rest, I certainly will uh, give a look to and, and hopefully be able to help out. Awesome. And, and if there's anyone that wants to share their story, uh, you can weigh in on my show. I love it. So thank you so yeah. much for giving your Absolutely. time. Absolutely. This is awesome. Um, good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye.